Didn't they do an awesome job? Yes. All right, how about uh, we all stand as we read from the book of Matthew. It says, starting in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the gift of voices that we can sing your praises, that even young ones, Lord, can be taught these truths at such an early age. We thank you, God, that you are so good to us. Speak to us now through your word. We ask in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. I want to talk to you uh, briefly about um, this passage of scripture that we just read. I'm specifically looking at uh, the wise men. Now, we just read this passage, and I have a couple questions for you. Based on this passage, how many wise men were there? We don't know, right? Was there more than one? Yes, how do we know that? It's in the plural, right? Wise men, okay? I'm not trying to be a wise guy, though. <laughs> so there was more than wise, one wise man. Um, tradition has it that there was three, but the Bible really doesn't tell us. And part of that tradition is based because how many gifts were presented? Three, okay? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, it also doesn't say if they were kings or not. That's more tradition than anything that we find here in the scriptures. Uh, but did you know that if there were three wise men, um, there's also a tradition that they had each had a name. Does anyone know those names? No, you don't. That's all right. Uh, Gaspar, Melchior, and Belshazzar. Okay, that's, that's what tradition has. Again, the scriptures don't have that. Uh, that's what we really don't know about the wise men. Uh, but what do we know about the wise men? We know some things. Uh, they were from the east, as verse 1 talks about. They came from the east. Well, from the east compared to what? Uh, well, where Jerusalem was located. Where would that place them? 
Most people think, uh, in part because of their name, uh, many versions say wise men. Uh, the Greek there is just magus. So if you have, I think, the NAS, it might actually just say the magi. That would be the plural. So magi or wise men was a class of Persian, uh, a pa- class of Persian men that were wise in the, in the particular field that they studied, usually the sciences. Okay, so think like astronomy, um, biology, physics, mathematics, things like that. But what happened to get these wise men, however many there were, from the east to Jerusalem? What started them on their journey? It was a star, right? Uh, but did they have other information? And how did they have it? Well, let's remember a few things. Um, if you know your Bible history, you'll know that the Jews were exiled to Babylon uh, in 586 B.C., right? So they get exiled, Mo- the vast majority of the Jews. Why did they get exiled? Because of their disobedience repeatedly, literally for hundreds, even thousands of years, to God's law. And he had prophesied through his prophets that if they didn't repent and turn, he was going to send them into exile. He did that. They, they were first sent, the northern kingdom, uh, Assyria came. Then they were sent into exile with the Babel, Babylonians. Okay? And if you know a little bit of your history, uh, the Babylonian empire eventually became the Persian empire. In the midst of that, we get the book of Daniel. So placed in this setting of, of, of Babylon and Persia is the book of Daniel. That's where we get the story about the fiery furnace, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's also where we get the story of Daniel and the lion's den. He goes really from the Babylonian Empire, and he actually transitions with, uh, with, with the, the people then into the Persian Empire. It was somewhat of a peaceful transition that, that he was a part of. Remember Daniel for a moment. Right? He kind of is what? He's one of the prophets. He's there, and he makes that stand, and it gets him thrown into the lion's den. Why? Because he stands for his faith. And when the decree goes out, he's not going to be for it. So he stands. Um, he ends up uh, be getting privilege and status because of his stance. The king recognizes that. <clears throat> when when uh, time passes, the Jews, under a new king, are allowed to go back to their homeland. That, so if you want to read that, you can start in Daniel, <clears throat> and then Ezra and Nehemiah talk about the Jews going back to their homeland. Most of the Jews went, but not all of them. No, some stayed. And it, it looks like, from what we can tell, Daniel stayed. Now, Daniel, being a man of influence, what would he have done? He would have tried to spread his faith. He would have tried to influence people. And as wise as he was, and as gifted as he was, it wouldn't be beyond thought to think that he had a, a, a group of disciples, maybe even a school of sorts, that he trained these people. And he trained them the truths of the scriptures that they had at that time, most of the Old Testament. And so if, if we put ourselves in about 586 B.C., that's when the, the conquest of Jerusalem happens. They get taken to Babylon, which ends up be, becoming Persia. You know, you're only about less than 600 years removed. In America, we think that's a long time. You get over to England and parts of Europe, that's not too long for them, okay? And uh, it's not unthought of to think that Daniel could have trained men that would have passed the faith down, the Jewish faith, for hundreds of years. And trained these men that were the sharpest in their fields. 
Now today, Christianity is kind of mocked for different things, and sometimes we're looked at as, as not intellectual. But when you look at the history of Christianity, just, just even in Western, uh, what the Western Hemisphere, some of the most intelligent people were Christians. When you look at the sciences, when you look at the maths, intelligent people were believers. So these intelligent men, these wise men, it's very possible, the scripture doesn't say, but it's possible that they had the Old Testament and they were, in, in, in a sense, from the school of Daniel. And that he had educated these men and they had passed the faith down and passed the faith down all the way to these wise men. If that's the case, they would have had access to the Old Testament. Right? They would have had access to the Old Testament. There's some different passages that talk about the Messiah, right? Actually, hundreds. They would have been studying the Old Testament. These men learned it in their craft, learned it in their field for hundreds of years, right? And that information would be passed on and passed on, and, and they would glean from it. Well, if you've read the book of Daniel, you know there's some prophecies in there about the Messiah, right? Listen to this prophecy. You can turn there if you want in Daniel chapter 7. Starting in verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given, now who's the him? The one that was like a son of man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So they would have had the book of Daniel. They would have been studying that. They would have had other uh, Old Testament prophecies, including one that you see in Numbers 24. It was actually someone that was hired to prophesy against Israel, Balaam. This, this king Balak hired Balaam to prophesy against Israel. Israel and Balaam's like, look, I can only tell, tell you what the Lord tells me to say. In the midst of one of his prophecies, he says this, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now here's the thing. Depending on um, their access to Jerusalem and the prophets that, that God continued to rise up after the exile, it's possible they didn't actually have anything after Daniel, right? They get exiled, and it's possible that they were, they were cut off from any prophets that are in the Old Testament written after that time. What books would they be missing? Well, one of them would be the book of Micah. Well, why is that, why do you say, why is that important? Because when they get to Jerusalem, which makes sense that they'd go to Jerusalem, why? Because that's where, that's where the kings live. Jerusalem is, is the city of the kings, so they go to Jerusalem looking for what? The king, right? And they get there, and they're like, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. They didn't know. They didn't know that Micah had foretold. It looks like they didn't know that the king would be born in Bethlehem. Because it goes on, when Herod heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And here's Micah. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So it's very possible they were missing out on that. So they get that information. Let's pause right here and and consider a few things. First, think about this. They lived in Persia, which is is like modern-day Iran, which, depending on what part of Persia they lived in, they traveled about 700 to 1,500 miles. Now, now we, if we wanted to, could do that. We could do the seven to 800 miles in one day if we're really pushing, all right? And if we're like crazy college students, we could probably pull off the 1,500, okay? Just drive straight through the night. <clears throat> but think about this. So important and so momentous was this event, they traveled a great distance to witness it. And these intellectuals, these learned men, realized they weren't too wise to realize that God was up to something that was huge. And they wanted to be a part of it. The king of the Jews had been born. And, and they knew that. That's what they said. Where, where is he has been born king of the Jews? That gives us some of the evidence. Unless there was a special revelation, which is possible, but it gives some evidence that they probably had access to the Old Testament and had been studying it. But think about this for a moment, friends. The Jews had many kings, right? Starting with Saul, David, Solomon, many, many kings. What, what, what made this one so special? Or just another king being born? Because this king was like no other king before him. This was the king that Daniel had prophesied about. This was the king. You know, Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian novelist, who wrote actually many novels, but the one he's most uh, famous for is War and Peace. He became greatly troubled in his life. He had questions that he couldn't at first get answers to, foundational questions. And and what he came to the point of saying was, if I can't come up with answers to these seven questions, I'll kill myself. And guess what he did? No, he didn't kill himself. (laughs) He became a Christian. He became a Christian. Where did some of his questions, where did everything come from? What's wrong with the world? How do we fix it? Where is history going? Those were some of the questions that he was like, I need answers to these questions. I want answers to these questions. And he saw those answers find their fulfillment in the God of the Bible and in his son Jesus. Tolstoy came to a point in his life, he wanted real answers. He was tired of living without truth. You know, there's many, many things we can, we can glean from this story that God wants to teach us. One, think about this. God reaches out to those who least deserve it and least expect it. Like, why would God tell this message and show this star to wise men, like, far removed, you know, around a thousand miles from Jerusalem? Well, God was sending his son into the world, and he wanted people from near and far to know this message. The message was for everyone, and God wanted to make it clear that even people living far away, the king was for them too. And and friends, we live in uncertain times. 
in an uncertain world. And some people that began 2020, they're not here anymore on this earth. Even people we know, even a member of this church, our brother Brian Kneebone, passed away earlier this year. We don't know how long our time is. We don't. God knows, but we don't. And, and what does a Jewish baby born 2,000 years ago have to do with you? Well, everything. Everything. Just like it was revealed to the wise men, God wants to show you clearly that the king was sent for you. He wants to show you clearly your need for him. The wise men were willing to go great distances go through great challenges to see this king of the Jews. And notice what they did when they arrived. What did they do? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. That, that should be our response as well to the king of the Jews. Friends, God saw a problem and that was our sin. And our sin separates us from God. He didn't separate us from Him. We, we willingly chose to separate ourselves from God. We did that. We chose it. Our lifestyle represents that. Our sin. It separates us from God. He saw that, and He wanted to fix that. He wanted to solve it. He wanted to deal with it. And if He's going to be a good and a righteous judge, He has to deal with it good and righteously. He can't sweep it under the rug. He can't ignore it. He can't act like it's not there. That wouldn't be good and righteous. Good judges judge righteously. Good judges punish wicked. Good judges reward righteousness. And that's what God is. He's a good judge. So he has to deal with it righteously. So what does he do? He sends his son on a rescue mission. To rescue us. He sends his son to deal with our sin because we can't deal with our sin. We can try all sorts of ways to deal with our sin, but our sin has to be deal with, dealt with. You know, if you think about it, if, if, if there's a, a criminal before the judge and the criminal's like, no, but judge, like, I, I help my next door neighbor, like, you know, she's a, an elderly lady and I go buy her groceries and then I, I serve down at the soup kitchen. Like, I've done all these good things, judge. Yeah, like, you, you got to let me go. But the, the judge is like, but you're still a criminal. You still committed a crime. I have to punish you for that crime. Well, it's the same with us. We can do all the good things we want, but God still has to deal with our sin. Friends, he did deal with it through his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, to deal with our sin. And when Jesus lived the perfect life for us and died the perfect death for us. A sinless life. We were singing about it earlier, Emmanuel. That, just, that means God with us. God with us. God sent his son to be with us that our sin could be dealt with. How? By Jesus taking our place. See, something ha has to happen. There has to be a punishment somewhere. So Jesus took the punishment. When he's on that cross... I mean, he was dying a physical, gruesome death. But guess what else? God put the sins of the world on Jesus. 
That was even greater than the physical punishment he was going through. And then God, in his mercy and love for his son and for us, punished his son for our sin. Why? So that the sin could be adequately dealt with. Jesus paid it. That's why we hear Jesus paid it all, right? What did he pay? He paid the punishment. That's the key. He paid the punishment for your sins. He paid the punishment. There has to be punishment. And either you're going to pay the punishment or Jesus paid the punishment. How do we, how do we get that? Like, I, I'd like that. I'd love to have my sins forgiven. I want that. Well, the Bible talks about it. The Bible makes it really clear. Like, you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You realize that you can't do it. And that what Christ did was enough. It, it's, it's, it's so profound and so simple, but so hard that few are willing to do it. Because you have to humble yourself and admit you can't do it on your own and that you need someone else's help. You need someone else to step in where you couldn't step up. So I encourage you today, like trust in Christ for your salvation. Turn away. God, the Bible talks about turning away from your old life. Turn towards your new life. You have a life in Christ. When you trust in Him, you get the gift of salvation. God says He adopts you into His family. You're now a child of God. Right now, if you're, if you're not a believer, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. But God comes to you and offers you terms of peace. And the terms of peace is to trust in Christ as your Savior. I encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on each of us here. We thank you for the gift of your Son, for sending him, the King of the Jews, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You sent him for us. You sent him to redeem us and to rescue us. You sent him to rescue us from our sins and to bring us to your side. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to do that, to sacrifice your own son for us. And Lord, I pray today people would trust in you and in your son, that you would forgive their sins, you'd give them the gift of the Holy Spirit, you'd renew their hearts. Lord, we have, even in the midst of this craziness of 2020, we have so many things to be thankful for, so many things, God. You've saw us through this far. Lord, I pray that you would continue to walk with us and be with us. Continue to have us shine the light of Christ to other people. Do you work in us and through us and continue to use even the challenges and trials and even tragedies of, of our lives to redeem people for your own. You're using even something as horrible as this virus where hundreds of thousands of people have died. Even as we heard last week, you're using it to bring people to know you, to glorify your name. We ask that you would continue to do 